0: Welcome to ProGrace on Abortion, Real Talk, No Politics. I'm Angela Wesley, CEO and co-founder of ProGrace. We are a community of people who want to have the conversation around abortion. Now, it's not currently happening in our churches because there's so much tension around the debate and having a civil conversation is hard. The church is divided, but it's time to come together. And the way we'll do that is to model our approach after Jesus, not politics. If you feel like you don't really belong in either the pro-life or pro-choice camp, and you think surely Jesus has a better way, then welcome to the Pro-Grace community, a place you can belong. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Darice Wright. She is an assistant pastor at Life Church in Chicago Heights, Illinois. She also has her doctorate in ministry, which we will talk a lot about in the podcast, and is a certified mental health first aid professional. It's so great to have you on the podcast, Darice. Thank you for inviting me, Angela. I'm glad to be here. It's really been a pleasure getting to know you over just the past month. I guess. Um, And we were connected by a mutual friend. And um, when we had lunch together, I was just so taken by how you wove together theology with experience. And I really look forward to unpacking that more with you today as we talk about the very serious theological Barbie movie, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm Barbie.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, Darice has on pink. I don't own any pink tops. I actually tried to buy one and nothing fit, but I love your pink top. <laughs> Absolutely love it. And before we dive into the movie, I just thought it would be interesting for you to share your thoughts. Uh, this is a relatively new space for you to be in, in terms of wanting to see the church have a new conversation to abortion. But I would just love to hear you know, how this was brought to your attention, You know, where you see this connection. Connecting with your expertise and life experience.
1: Yeah, well, ironically, when the movie came out and there was so much hoopla around it, and you know, I heard the the, the reports about how much it was bringing in over the weekends and how it's just phenomenal in terms of the um, what do they call it, the gate or or whatever it is, you know, the weekend receipts. Right, right. You know, I was like, "Wow, what is this all about?" You know, I I truly didn't get it. Yeah, um, <laughs> and so and and it's not that I never played with Barbies. I mean, I think I did, but it di- it didn't have the impact. Barbie never had the impact on me um, that I guess it had on lots of little girls. And so I I didn't get what was this phenomena until at lunch. <laughs> um, you were talking to me about um just the um kind of epiphanies you had and how it sort of resonated with you as a woman and uh, and so I began to think this doesn't sound like a little girl's movie, you know I thought about- <laughs> right kids this doesn't sound like a little girl's movie, and so I was really intrigued to go see it, and truly, it was. I won't say it wasn't a little girls movie. It was an all girls movie. I think right. it was a movie for any female um who is growing up or lives in or lived through um a patriarchal society, which is most societies in the world.
0: Right. Absolutely. And you went with our dear friend. I heard you guys had a couple laughs. We did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> and you were in the funny movie <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly so let's just dive in um because again i know you're new to this conversation you know with the church and abortion and then i ask you to be in this podcast where you're like how does this movie even tie into that <laughs> but we can right. get there but yeah what were your initial thoughts of the movie you know you've already shared some of it but do you have any points that you want to bring out that were impactful for you or that connected to your story?
1: Yeah. So my initial thoughts were even in uh, satire. I mean, there's always some truth in satire. Right. Right. And so it really helped me to, it helped underscore for me how much things have not changed. mm you know, and so we have, mm-hmm. in many ways, um and I think this is true of 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 me as a woman, it's true of me as a black woman and everyone who kind of relates to those two things. Um, we have learned to plot our way through. Mm-hmm. We have learned to make the best of it. We have learned to make lemonade out of lemons. Beyonce had a whole lemonade album that went skyrocket, I think, because it resonated with women of all kinds, whether you were into Beyonce or not, <laughs> of just how much we make lemonade out of lemons. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, we tend to have this laser focus to just get it done. Mm-hmm. And we don't always, um, we're, we're no longer necessarily focused on why it has to be so hard to get it done. We just wow. do it. And and what the the Barbie movie, the juxtaposition between Barbie land and mm-hmm. the world, help serve to help me remember. Yeah, this thing that we get up and do every day, you know, it's not as easy as we make it seem. <laughs> it's not quite right. as easy as we convince ourselves that it is.
0: Right. And um, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because it's just always there like static, like, or, or things have gotten better. So we think, well, they're all the way there when they're not. I mean, what's your thought on that, on why we just muscle through? I
1: think that ultimately we're, we're built to be aspirational. Mm. And so we're aspirational people. Um, And, and if we have sort of, uh, and this, this may not come out right, but if we have a modicum of, of mental wellness, then our, our, our ability to go around, go over, get through is part of our mental wellness. But that can also backfire on us because in the process of going around, going over and going through, um, we get scarred often. And um, if we don't tend to those scars then we may end up in a place that's not so mentally well. Wow.
0: And maybe that's why art then has the ability and humor, even in satire, to go around some of the defenses we've created. Maybe that's, you're helping me think, that's why I had unexpected experiences watching the movie where I was like, oh, I haven't let myself think about these issues in in my story, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? And so that's like my soul was saying, let's, let's deal with this because there are some scars. I I feel the need to go back and work through some things that I thought maybe I'd worked through, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And for me um, as a black woman. So, so I know this resonated with you because you mentioned it at lunch. Um, And I, and, and, you know, it seems to be one of the pivotal points in the movie. When America, the character, the mom of the mm-hmm. loop, when she gave her kind of soliloquy about women, um, what we are are called to be and what we're expected to be and how those the the you know it's never enough kind of thing, yeah. Um, for some reason, I had, and this may seem totally unrelated, but for some reason, what immediately came to me was this scene from The Help. I don't know if you ever saw The yes, Help. Yes, I did see The Help. So with Viola Davis, who was the nanny to yep. this young, white, blonde little, precious little girl. Yep. Yep. um, and, she, and so much so that the little girl thought of her more as her mother mm-hmm. than her mother. And yeah. so Viola Davis would put the little girl on her lap. And this was a deep south and... Um, in the 60s so but she would say to her you is special you is kind you is you know and she I love
0: that part yeah yeah
1: and so immediately I thought of that because somehow America's the America um, the actress the role when she said that it was all it was almost like she had us on her lap Mm. It was saying you are special, you as kind, you oh. as- <laughs> and so I wow. thought that, but I thought how different everything that America was saying, you can multiply that times ten for black women. Mm. <laughs> times ten. Times ten for black women. Never enough, no matter how much you achieve, she said something in there, she said you have to be twice as better, twice as yeah. That's is good. And I thought, "Wow, well, you have, we have to be 10 times as good. Oh and even gosh. that's not really enough, you know? Um, and so when I thought about oh. that scene from how Viola Davis, how the power dynamic, even though that was a child, mm-hmm. the power dynamic, basically that child was her boss. Yeah. And the power dynamic, but yet, even with that power dynamic, it was Viola Davis speaking life into her mm. um, because she needed it, right? Yeah. Given the context and environment, she was she needed someone to tell her, you are special, you are kind, you are powerful, um, and to have her repeat it and just that connection so that even though the power dynamic was way different, that the connection was that they both needed it. And so mm-hmm. when America was saying that, I was thinking, wow, we, she's saying twice as, as good for, for them, but it's 10 times as good. If we have to be 10 times better. And yet, even though the hurdles for women generally may be here and the hurdles for black women may be here, the reality is that we all have hurdles and we all have to help each other get over them.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on this. So first of all, I just need to let it sink in. And I want to hear more stories of what that means that it's 10 times harder for black women. And I think the fact, I mean, that's a whole whole nother place where as women in the church, as Christians, as sisters, we need to seek out that understanding. Um, You're actually reminding me of what I feel bad I can't think of America, the character she played either. I can't, I just, I can't think of her name name either. But her daughter says in the car, everybody hates women. Women hate women, men hate women. And I just am feeling, we didn't think the discussion was going to go this way, but just a call out to us as women to have these conversations, to listen to, What it was like, and I I think your example of Viola Davis, the little girl wasn't loved at all by her mother. That was her issue. And for Viola Davis to show, what you're talking about is grace. She actually was secure enough in who she was, you could say as Christians, if we're secure in our faith and the love of our our father, that she did reach out across a power dynamic that was unjust. I mean, just stop and think of that, and minister, like you said, life. Right. To this little girl. And so. Um, but you know what? I think while it was to the little girl, it was to herself
1: also. Okay. Explain that. So so in order to get to the place to be able to speak that kind of life to the little girl, she also have had to have spoken it to herself mm. or heard it for herself. Mm. Right. And to be able to look at the little girl who was very different from her, but yet see her need, uh, meant that she had to have connected with that need,
0: even in herself and met even it. in her, Yeah. So yeah. you're saying if we right if we're empty or if we haven't connected with that need ourselves, that we can't possibly have conversations with others.
1: Right. Right. I also think that that's a parent uh, toward the end of the movie as well, because, you know, at some point, Barbie said, says in effect to Ken, I see you. And I realize that your needs have not gone, um, met, haven't been met either. Um, and so we need to do, we need to start being kinder and more acknowledging of our own selves of each other, I guess.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. Right. Because the whole, I mean, the whole reason he brought the patriarchy back, I know we're giving spoilers in the movie was because he was in a one down position in Barbie land, right? It was this, it was his needs. He wasn't seen. He wasn't heard. Now we all laugh at that, right? Right. The Barbie land because of what's happening in the real world, but I thought that was what was so powerful. Is he wouldn't have had a need to bring it back if he hadn't been so right, well right. uncared for, unseen, unheard. Right. So we, it just es- breeds more brokenness, I guess.
1: Yeah, and essentially, um, when he went to the real world and he saw these images. Those images were, if I could go back to the help, say you as special, you as kind, you as, you know,
0: it, things he needed to hear. He needed. Yeah. You are a president. You, you are, are head president. of companies. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You,
1: you're a cowboy. You're you, you you're strong. Yeah.
0: Right. You, we, I see you. Like, that was the whole thing. Like, you're important. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much in this. So. But the question is,
1: why? do we live in such a um, either or Mm, world? Right. You know, Um, and and I think someone, I don't know if it was you, uh, someone that I had kind of chatted a little bit with about the movie, and this was before I saw it, um, talked about connecting it to Genesis, the Genesis story. Um,
0: yeah, that might have been an article I sent you. Amy okay. Peeler wrote a great
1: article. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was thinking, you know, how does this connect to Genesis? But then I was thinking about the, the, and I don't know if that's where the article is, but I was thinking about the two creation accounts in Genesis. Okay. You know, the creation account in Genesis and Genesis chapter one of man is um, man and female. He created them you know that's how it's described and then in chapter 2 of genesis it's the whole uh animals put in a deep sleep and uh, you know eve was taken out of his rib it's a different account mm. and that's always been a theological kind of uh struggle why these two accounts of the creation of man it seems like in chapter 1 um They were created equal because basically it says man and female, he created them. There is no um, chronological order.
0: Yeah, (laughs) right.
1: One, but in Genesis two, there is. And so um, part of the patriarchy that um, exists to the point of, to use the current term, being weaponized (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, has a lot to do. With that, Genesis two and Genesis three, um, the fall of man that's attributed to the curiosity of woman, right? Um, but in Genesis two, that taken from the rib, um, is is often used at to to determine uh, hierarchy, and so Genesis one is never really dealt with, and so. When I think about the this movie, you know, it's almost as if Barbie Land was one creation story and the real world mm. was another one. Interesting. And how do the two connect? Mm. Um I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, about Genesis 2, it says when Adam woke up, um, he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And so there's this, um, to me, <laughs> there's, this, there's, there's this need for men, if I could be specific, um, to come out of a deep sleep, to mm. recognize bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, that there is the connection there that has nothing to do with hierarchy, but has to do with how God has ordained us
0: mm-hmm. to
1: support each other.
0: Yeah, so is Genesis so powerful? I actually didn't realize this t- until you said it. That's why I love your theological expertise. Is Genesis one where it says in his image, he created both of them, male yes. and female? This is,
1: yes. Because
0: to me, that would supersede that fact, supersedes the how. So Genesis, the, the later account is the how, but that first account is the actual essence of the what, that yeah. you actually don't get the full image of God without both genders. It would, right. would you say that's theologically? I
1: would say that's yes. Yes.
0: And so it would make sense why the enemy would try to attack and break it down because we literally have to be together, interacting together to demonstrate God's image. Right. Yes. And when we aren't, that's when things break down. Because I think it's actually you who told me the story of sitting in a church where a woman Had to apologize in front of the whole church for being pregnant outside of marriage. And the man was actually in the congregation, not just that he wasn't there, but to me, that's a gender something's going on there that nobody realized. We again, we've just accepted this, but it was somehow more her fault than his. She had to apologize and he didn't.
1: And he didn't. No,
0: in an act that was completely hopefully mutual, but completely like 50-50, right? Exactly, yeah. because, I don't know if it's because she carries the child, I don't know if this is in theological or it's this hierarchy that the woman is to blame, you know, if that's where this all came in. But it's a, you can't heal that without digging into the hierarchy story. Right,
1: right. Yeah, And and the ramifications of that. I was a child. Um, but as a child, I knew something's
0: wrong with this. You knew. How old, how old were you? I don't know. And? That's amazing. And you knew this isn't right. This isn't right.
1: Because there was shaming going mm-hmm. on. I could see that. I knew mm-hmm. that. I felt, you know, I'm one of those empathetic people where if something goes wrong and it's all you know, if if someone gets up and has a speech to make and they make they make mistakes, I feel like let me get down in my, I feel like it's me.
0: Yes, you're disconnected. Yeah, with that feeling. <laughs> and so even at that age,
1: yeah, I I could see her shame. I could see her shame. Aww. I mean, we weren't a large church, maybe 150 members, but I could see how embarrassed mm-hmm. she was. I could feel it, even as a child um and I and everyone knew who her boyfriend, everyone knew the man, and they he's sitting know. there, and to me, somehow, it's like why is she up there by herself? yeah, yeah, and it wasn't so much the apology which we that's a whole different subject, but why is she the one, yes who has to apologize and why is
0: he so? Right. Why is he not with her? And this would be one of the things, and you can tell me what you think about this. It goes back to what you said about the movie where maybe that action doesn't happen anymore. So we think, Oh, we've changed, you know, but that, that spirit or that attitude still persists. And I don't know what you feel about that. And again, that's why we're talking about this on this podcast. Can we get to the bottom of some of the brokenness and how we relate as genders? Because that idea that it's her fault, it's all focused on her. What decision? What decision is she going to make? You know, is a a gender breaking right?
1: right. And biblically, the same as um, the woman who was the woman who was caught in adultery. Not as if you can't right. you, you commit adultery by yourself, right? No. So exactly. <laughs>
0: yes. They had to ignore somebody who was there <laughs> committing ignore. adultery to bring her by herself. <laughs>
1: they had to literally tell someone, and that was go, on, go
0: about your way. We're going to take her. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And Just caught in, caught in, not caught afterwards, caught in. So you literally had to else. tell and shoo, we, yeah. we, we, we got don't it. need
0: you we don't need you to trap jesus
1: yeah yeah yeah. and so that whole um clearly if we if we play that scene out and john that whole pitting of men against women is a trick of the enemy
0: yes i agree he's still doing it today
1: he's still doing it today because as you said if you if you continue with the uh, other part of that verse that in in his, you know, we were created in God's image, let, let us create man and in in male and female, he created them, mm-hmm. then in his image means that, that, that as you said, that it has to do something with the relationship, symbiotic relationship of male and female, and so if we're not exhibiting that, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, if we're not exhibiting that, then that's Allowing the enemy to distort God's vision of who we are, right?
0: Yeah. And we want to say no more. We want to participate with God, right? On recapturing this. I've always said that part of the passion of pro grace in having a new Christian response to abortion is that God will be seen for who he is. Because I feel like in the false binary, If we abdicate our response to a political party, that just, that runs God's name through the mud because he is so much, he's so much bigger than these divides, right? He values both genders equally, right? In the abortion conversation, he values the woman and child equally, like his love and value for everybody in his image transcends what we call political, right? So, um I wanted to have you on specifically because of your expertise, um, and if you're okay, I want to talk about your, your doctoral thesis, because when I heard what you did, I thought, and I heard how you spoke about what you did, I thought, you're someone who can guide us into how to better have these conversations. So your doctoral thesis was on anti-racism, pastoral care, and discipleship. And again, I love discipleship. And with that, you worked with um, only white churches, white evangelical churches, to help the pastors mm-hmm. become more faithful to their calling as shepherds um, because you felt like pastoral care stopped <sighs> when it came to issues of racism. And I, of course, made the connection it stops when it comes to the abortion issue too, right? Mm-hmm. There's, and, and there's other issues. But I wanted to have you unpack, um, first of all, why— why is this discipleship and not politics? Because I think this is another topic that has gotten political. Just like people said, the Barbie movie was political when it talked about a patriarchy. I think some people might hear the word anti-racism and make that political, which is really sad because who is for racism, right? Like, but some of these words get cast in that light and you had to walk into that Um, with so much grace. And so just could you talk about your experience, what we could learn from you or what what that was like for you and your story? Because I do think there's huge lessons there for us to learn and how to have better conversations in the church. Sure.
1: So some definitions. So anti-racist is not non-racist, right? So you can say you're non-racist and that can be true but that doesn't mean you're anti-racist.
0: So anti-racist is you are actively fighting against it?
1: You are actively trying, you are actively working against it, yes. And so um, non-racist is just, you're not not acting in a racist way. Personally. Personally, but you are also not anti-racist. So there are things that you let slide. In this collective community where you
0: may have power. Exactly. Okay. Yes.
1: And we all have some sort of agency, no matter where we are in the hierarchy of our work life or church life, we all have some sort of agency. Right. right. So it's a matter of whether or not we act in it. Um, and for pastors, by definition, we are leaders. Right. And but more so as pastors by definition we have the responsibility of shepherding a group of people who if you're a christian pastor who have who have publicly stated or or by inference that they are followers of christ and so as pastors as we shepherd them to follow christ and look more like christ then you can't simply be non-racist. Mm. You have to be anti-racist. Jesus didn't come and say, "I'm not for sin." He came and gave his life, right, right, <laughs> to take on our sin. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great analogy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when Jesus is, um, you know, giving his his last lessons, right? If we think about John 13 through 17, and Jesus is giving his last lessons, um, he specifically says after he has um, washed the disciples' feet, um, he says to them, you know, that they should also do that. And he said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so any efforts toward discipleship that doesn't uh is not saturated any any discipleship class any discipleship movement any discipleship ministry that does not have the love ethic at the center and the core of it is not discipleship at all and so and it doesn't stop when that love ethic doesn't stop at certain doors mm. and so my my question always was, if you are a pastor and you see overt sin in your congregation, in many times, at least the places I've been part of, if if someone called, you know, I, I've done pastoral care for a while. If someone called, as an example, a child call, a teenager called, And said that my father is um, abusing me and my mom. I don't know what to do about it. We need help. And this person, this child that called, was the daughter of someone who was super, super, super high up in the deacon ministry. Okay? That was the father. And so the question became, because this was my week, we used to, I used to be part of mega church I, I, in a small, this was my week to be the pastoral care person on call. So when I knew who this was, my first reaction was, oh my God, <laughs> you know, oh my God, this is this person.
0: Wait, you're saying this actually did happen to you? This, this happened. It's not yeah. hypothetical. Okay.
1: No, 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 no. But the immediate response, right, was to address this teenager's need, of course, personally, but then to let my senior pastor know, who then called this deacon in for pastoral care. What's going on with you and your family? What's, what's happening? How do we address this? You know, this is, you know, from a pastoral care point of view which was the right thing to do. That's part of the site. You have said that you are a follower of Christ. As a follower of
0: Christ, this is not in, aligned with the right. teachings of Christ. Right. So, so let's, let's deal with that, right? And the church is going to actively stand against that and not be passive when it happens in their community. Right. They're not going to let innocent ad- people be
1: hurt. But standing against it also meant, in this case, pastoral care. Because this is a kind, right. this is a member, this is a leader, this is a follower of Christ. So, in addition to what he's doing, his abusive actions, there are some issues within him, right, right, right that need to yep. be reconciled to who he says he is and who he's following, right, right. The pastoral care aspect of it, I felt, was missing that 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 role of the pastor was missing when it came to issues of racism.
0: Wow. Well, but they just weren't talking about it. They weren't. They weren't talking about it. They were letting it pass. They themselves so, might, they themselves were maybe non-racist, but they were letting other right.
1: people vocally. Right. And so the, the notion of anti-racism pastoral care was a whole different the the combination of those two words was totally yeah. new to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But but it made sense when I put it together when I thought about how do we become faithful to our call. We shepherd, we shepherd a people that God has entrusted us with to who say that they want to follow Christ to be more like Christ. Yeah. And so um when it comes to issues of sin around race. Then to be anti-racist means to not engage in racist activities, but also to tear down racist activities that, that you and yourself are yourself doing, right? To that you yeah. see in your congregation people yeah. doing it. If if preaching across the pulpit, which happened during the summer of 2020, some pastors tried it and people walked out, they walked out because they never heard it from you before. Mm. They walked out because you never lived it before. You never called them on it before. And so if you know these things are happening in your congregation, if you would administer pastoral care to someone in a domestically abusive relationship, then administer pastoral care for someone who's in a racially abusive relationship. Right. Right. And so that was kind of how we approached those six months together.
0: Wow. And I... I just, there's so many things to ask you on this. So I'm going to pick one, but then we may hit some others. What was that like for you? What was that experience like for you? Because here you are as a Black woman, I'm sure you've had personal experience and story, and yet you're walking in to be used of God to ask pastors to step into their role as shepherd. I can imagine the responses were all across the board, and so what was that like for you? How did you navigate that? And I'm asking this because how, you know how can we be agents of starting this conversation if we ourselves have been on the receiving end of some of this? What did that take from you? What was that like? Yeah. How did that how did that play out? Yeah. So at first, um.
1: Each session had its own level of gravitas, if you will. Okay. Um, one session in particular, though, prior to it, I was wrestling with it because it required, I knew, so much grace for me. And some of my so so my background is uh I'm I'm connected with this church now, but I spent 20 years in a mega church uh and was head of the social justice ministry there. Part of our social justice ministry or or much, most of our social justice ministry involved activism. Okay. Activism around legislation and, and those types of things. Um, and so I was a real rah-rah-rah, let's get it done, let's march, let's talk to them. You know, yeah. I was, we were connected with everyone. They didn't have to be Christians. I mean, our t-shirt said Jesus and Justice, but yeah. Yeah, folks next to us may not. You know? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so when I got the orders, the marching orders from God to do this, didn't want to do it in the first place, but it was where God was leading me because there was no, there was no progression in how we were doing it. We'd take a step forward and then take two steps back. That's just how it worked. Um, so I said, we as Christians need to be doing this differently, but I don't know how. Like, we got to bring something different to the table. Than everyone else we're marching with. Mm -hmm. What is it? Mm -hmm. And so when this kind of came to me, you know, it was so counter to the marching and the aggression that I was like, I don't don't know if this is for me. Like, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Because that's how you saw yourself. Right. You had to reframe how you saw yourself and how you engage in the issue. Right. And to actually, it
1: sounds trite, but to actually agree with the fact that our issues about race and our issues around um women and our role and and it are all ultimately heart issues. Right? And so while legislation can change and doors can open and yet we wonder why we feel like we're still still in the same place, is because doors have opened but hearts haven't. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So so uh I thought what is it if our role as as believers is to rec- is reconciliation, then maybe we should start there. But reconciliation requires grace. Yeah. So in one in one particular session, um, and we used we use the Bible because I wanted them to have language when they went back to their churches that was familiar to their congregants. Mm -hmm. So we might bring in other thought leaders, you know, that are studying, but ultimately it was the Bible that we used. And so, um, one of our sessions, we were going over the Syrophoenician woman who was, who followed Jesus for help for her daughter, who she said was demon possessed and, um, and the disciples said, "Why is she yelling after us? Get away from us!" And yeah, and then that's the time where Jesus said, "You know, I I didn't. You know, I came for you know. Why would I give the the children's food, children's books, and, and, and that kind of stuff? So, and and a lot of times people have trouble with that scripture, but as I um was preparing and thinking about this, I remember the night before just going, wow. Um, what else would they say? You know, people go straight to the woman's faith. Oh, what great faith she had to say. Even the dogs comes and Jesus says, oh, ye of great faith. And um, and people go straight to that because that feels good. But Mm -hmm. let's deal with the fact that Jesus said, why should I give the, the children's food to the dogs? To dogs. It's a troubling passage. It's a troubling passage. And 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 half of the disciples say, get her away, get her away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we can't skip over that, right? right? Because especially with the work that I was doing with them. Because um, part of the issues around race, and I don't mean to 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 be political, but a lot of it has to do with power and privilege. So the disciples are saying, get her away from us. Jesus is saying you're not of that privileged group. You can't get that. Get it, you know? Um but this is Jesus. This is our savior. So we got to deal with it.
0: We got to figure out what was going on. We gotta figure out what God was in, going in the to flesh. It. Yeah. And
1: so I started thinking, hey, what else would they say? Cuz I've done a lot of teaching of the Old Testament. The Jews were the chosen called people, right? They had this covenant relationship with God. And they, it was, it was what they pulled on, what they knew, what pulled them out of uh, disaster and all of this. This is who they were. It was part of their DNA. So when the disciples said, "Get her away from us," it's because they were the call chosen group. Privilege. When Jesus said, "I didn't," you know, th- "this is for my time for you is my hour." It's not coming. Whatever he said. Yeah, I'm sorry, not whatever he said, but you know. <laughs>
0: I know the exact he
1: said, words. He instantly said, I came for the Jews. This is not for you. Why would I give the, the children's bread to dogs? It still pulls on that legacy of who are the chosen, who are the called. Yeah. It's part, Jesus, Jesus was fully human and fully divine. That's what makes him so unique from any other God, little g, is that he's fully human and fully divine. So in his humanity, he could say, there's a hierarchy here. You're not it. You're not up there. Right. It was part of their DNA, but Jesus being full of grace and also being fully, fully God was turned and said, you know, um, yeah, you're you deserve healing, too. Yes, your faith, you deserve healing, too. The thing is, we don't turn. the." The the DNA of being superior was, was totally understandable with the Jews that we read about in the Bible. There's a DNA of being superior in America. It's part of the DNA of America. And so as I prepared to go over this, I thought, okay, you learn about, in seminary, internalized racism. That is, people who are the subjects or victims of racism begin to expect it and mm-hmm. internalize it and therefore treat themselves a certain way or each other. Yep. Yep. So if we I thought if we give people a path for internalized racism, the things I do to myself, the things I do to my people, it's part of this devaluation that is part of my DNA because of mm-hmm. being come from slavery and all of that. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is internalized supremacy. It's the flip side. You can call it good. You can call it bad. You can call it. It's simply the flip side. Because you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. The DNA is the DNA.
0: Yep.
1: If, if by legislation, I was told my ancestors were told I'm three fifths human. Then if I'm three fifths human, and you're five-fifths human, obviously you're gonna think you're superior to me. Right. Five fifths trumps three-fifths all day long. Right, right. <laughs> and so if that's part, that's part of the DNA, which means just like with the disciples in that interaction with Jesus, the grace that was necessary in that moment for the woman to even say, Yeah, but even the dogs get the scraps.
0: I know. I'm not sure I would have been able to say that. Like, was
1: the grace when in approaching this session with these white pastors to, to say, I understand your, your DNA. OK, wait. So I understand white supremacy. I understand. How could you not? Feel, how could your congregants not?
0: Because you? this is the DNA of this is the DNA of America. So you're going to enter into it. Right. And say,
1: how do we get from the place? How, so, so if we approach it, right? Because if we approach things from a you versus me right mentality, walls start to erect right away. Yep. Right. And that's, what these pastors, that's what these pastors was telling me. The hardest part about broaching some of these subjects was that the, the immediate re- erection of walls as if yep. you are accusing me the yep. white supremacy, you're accusing me of having privilege. I went to public school just like they not really recognizing what the privilege is, right right, so they said that those walls were they they didn't know how to get beyond them. They didn't know how yeah. to and, and when I, in teaching this, I realized that it's not about plowing through the wall, it's about understanding the dynamics. And if you understand the dynamics, then just as you have grace and empathy for someone who is a victim of racism because of the history, you have to have that same grace. You have to have that same empathy for someone who's a supremacist because if you think about the history, how could they be anything else?
0: You are saying they're a victim of this mentality of
1: America's sin. Yeah.
0: Of America's sin. So then that allows you to see them in the image of God being negatively impacted by this same cultural sin. Right. You right. could go in with grace for them. Right. Right. And realizing that because
1: of these, that it, w- it needed to be an effort. To bring everyone back to what does it look to this 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 reconciliation this this uh, salvific work of Christ, so that we can become more and more like Christ, which means the focus is on Christ and to throw Christ in their faces all day every day. So if we think about how this relates to uh abortion or how it relates to women and their roles like in in um in the movie a lot of of what we see is part of DNA
0: the real world oh. that they walked into that's just DNA that's DNA been with us so long we don't even recognize it Right, right,
1: and likewise, though. Likewise, though, the the fantasy, the Barbie land that uh, Ken so recoiled from,
0: exactly, and they were all under it. Yeah, right, right. So, okay, so this is my spirit. Is just um, this is the only answer. It you've just outlined. so many social issues, Reverend Doris. To see, to be able to step back and see things that are DNA, and to understand that in some way, in different ways, we're all victims. I mean, that right there turns things on its head and allows people to enter into conversation. I think it's the shame. I, I guess let me give, it, give me give an example. When you said it was 10 times harder for a black woman, I think I felt shame. I felt some shame for being a white woman. Like, I'm not even, I'm just realizing it now. I think that your attitude of grace to understand how I was raised in a white society, things I see and don't see, that you would have grace for me. I was nervous about saying the wrong thing to you or making a mistake. Um, but your posture of we're all in this to- together is like actually helped me see that and is helping my temperature come down, if that makes sense. I wasn't super nervous about it, but it was just like mm, buzzing in my head, right? And as you started talking about this with racism, I could feel myself connecting to you as a sister in Christ. I could hear the wisdom in your words. I, just, I felt the grace. Um, and I'm saying that because I feel like I keep th- I keep thinking that's a- probably what it feels like to be a man and watch the Barbie movie. Like that, that's how I was making the connection. Like I can relate to that. Like it's scary to it's better to say I'm non racist. It's easier to say I'm not I'm not racist or I'm not sexist. Than to actually look at the systemic, the culture, and say, I want to be anti, I want to actually see the kingdom come. Because right. that means I risk, where am I going to get shamed? You know, like it's but but your posture of coming in together as believers, saying that it's the cultural sin and we can all find forgiveness and grace in Jesus and have this discussion. I don't know. It just has released me in a way that I'd love to hear you talk about because you know more. More about it than I do. I'm just sharing my experience with it, but you probably know the theological reasons why why this is true.
1: I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I fully understand the question. Um,
0: (laughs) I'm not sure I do either.
1: I don't know. (laughs) I will say the the reason why I wanted to know more and learn more, um, and perhaps you know, be, be be supportive. Of pro grace was because these dichotomies mm. are man made yep right, yep yep, Jesus's ministry was reconciliation, yep, and so all the dichotomies are man made It's not that we shouldn't acknowledge or celebrate our differences, but we celebrate our differences, we don't condemn them, right? yes, um and And the goal is to find a mutuality um, that manifests as Christ. Yeah. And as difficult as it may be, or as as difficult as it was for me, I literally cried. I wept like a baby before I did this session with them. I'm like, Lord, I don't Um, want to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't want to. because wrong is just wrong yeah it's wrong and (laughs) right right. do something about it god
1: but it's like you know they'll Mm -hmm. know you're my disciples by your love um how can you how can you condemn someone for believing what they've always been told
0: yeah
1: that whole five-fifths versus three-fifths human thing just like how can you believe someone for believing they're superior when that's what they've always been told.
0: Right. And we've always been told in certain ways that one gender is superior. Well, one gender the other is too. superior. Always been told, been held
1: account for it. Right. Because yeah. if you don't show up like a man, right. Then somehow you're less than right. And part of showing up like a man in, uh, in our DNA Is to be, have a woman be subservient. Right. The whole Genesis one man and female, he created them is not taken into account. Yep.
0: Yep. And what that means. Yep. And you are, so I just, it's so profound to me. I think what happens in the issue of racism or gender, even the abortion issue, it's like, you're either, um, Ignore it, like you were saying, like, don't take pastoral care to that or get on the shame and blame truck and cancel. And what you are bringing in is the kingdom answer of reconciliation that neither we don't put our head in the sand. We don't say it doesn't exist. We call it sin. Yet we do that with a posture of reconciliation, knowing that Jesus is the only one who has it all right that's how we can be reconciled to each other. Which right. would, could you imagine the ministry to our world? If we could be reconciled to each other.
1: Right. That's why I love the title pro grace. That's where I was going because it's not picking any side, but God. right. And it's God's not, side. it's not, um, it's not appropriating God to our, to our side, it's not saying God is on my side, right? Not about God being on my side; it's about me being on God's side. God's side, and God yep. is clear about His side. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yep, right? he's he's clear. Yep, the grace message, period. And yep. so, pro grace. Um, <laughs> I know you're like, let me just get this, what I'm doing, off and running. Pro Grace is a brand that can be applied to a lot of things.
0: I know you're not the first person to say, it. Yes, right, right, exactly. I mean, we didn't coin grace, it just is. And you know, when I started it seven years ago, I thought I was starting it because I understood grace so well and God had done so much in my life, which He has, but I feel like I've like I'm emotional. I've had a m- moment of grace with you right here, having this discussion. So that's the thing about grace. There's more, right? I-, I need more in places I didn't know I needed it. You know, we need more in all these discussions in places we didn't know we needed it. So, thank you right. for coming in yeah. and pointing sure. us to that. And I think that was, in America, the
1: actress. Her, 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 her. Ultimately, her her plea was. Can we just have grace? Yeah. In our decisions, can you just give us grace? Mm-hmm. Not condemnation, but just grace. Yep. You know, in in circles, in our circles, we have this term we call the ministry of presence. Mm. And that ministry of presence is not trying to tell you what to do or even really counsel you may come to that, but ultimately, just to sit with you in the space you're in. Yeah. And I think the the account that I talked about um, with uh, the cohort of pastors I was working with ultimately boiled down to, let me sit with them mm-hmm. in the space that they're in. Because by doing that, I first acknowledge the space that they're in as being valid for them. Yeah. Even right. if five years ago, I might've railed against it. Yep. Right now, let me acknowledge it as being real for them. Yep. Sit with them in it. And then we figure out how to move forward together. But the sitting with, right, is right, so important. That's, that's where Job's friends went awry. They didn't take the time to first just sit with him yeah. in the space he was in. Yeah. wanted to figure it out, condemn it, say it's all your fault. <laughs> you know, you should have done this, you should have done right. that. We do that. We do that. Yep. But Jesus came and came to sit with us first. Yeah. I always say, why did he need us to have ministry? Just to show us how it's done. He could have come and died right and not had that ministry, but it's like, this is how it's done.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit with, with you, you where you are. Mm-hmm. I think it was in John when he was calling his disciples and it was Nathaniel or I don't know who. And they said, you know, what's this whole thing about? And he's like, come on, come see. Yeah. And he lived with him for three years.
0: Mm. And he's with us. I think just to close this off, thank you for this. We need hope. We need hope that there's a way out of the abortion issue, but also gender, racism. And you have instilled that hope. It is him it's his presence. And we both had hard mornings this morning. <laughs> we can go back to that, right? And we asked him to show up and he's, he's with us. So I think just this demonstration, he can be with us in every conversation. And to maintain that hope, we're holding these equal things, really bad things, sin, broken, and this hope that comes from his presence. So you brought that. You brought that today. Well, thank you for having me. I didn't know what I'd bring, but (laughs) (laughs) I hope it was (laughs) something. Yep. And all your pink. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Hey, my favorite thing, since you're an empathic person, I'll just close with this, where um, the attorney at the beginning in Barbie land said, I can hold emotion and logic at the same time, and it doesn't diminish me. It actually makes me better, have more to offer. I feel like, thank you. As empathic women, that's what we brought, so... Thank you so much.
1: You're (laughs) welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening as I thought through
0: things. (laughs) (laughs) Together. We thought through them together. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope this makes entering into these conversations more hopeful for everyone.
1: Amen.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you've been inspired to see Jesus and to be part of a community where you feel at home. Join our email subscriber list to receive updates on how together we can change the Christian response to abortion. The only way we'll do that is through God's grace, which is beyond measure. I am so grateful for that. And so until next time, I'm Angela Wesley on the grace journey with you. ProGrace on Abortion, Real Talk, No Politics is a production of ProGrace International.